but I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Monday, December 10th, 2012. Again, my name is William Selby. I'm with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating the call. Uh, somebody else just joined? Hello, did somebody else hey, just join? Jared Serbu from Federal News Radio. Oh, hey, Jared. Okay, and uh, today we have uh, Carolyn Baker, Chief of Voluntary Education Programs at Military Community and Family Policy, who will discuss the memorandum, uh, that the revised tuition assistance memorandum of understanding um, and how it increases protection to service members, strengthens oversight, enforcement, and account accountability, and provides guidelines for educational institutions receiving military tuition assistance. Uh, I think two more people just joined. Yes, John McCandless from the Navy Log. Thanks, John. We're just going through the uh, opening statement. And for those on the line, for the bloggers on the line, if you are not asking a question, we ask that you please place your phone on mute. Uh, and also, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Somebody else just joined? Hey, this is Dale Kissinger from Military Avenue. Hey, Dale. We just got through the opening statement. Uh, again, I'm sorry about that to everybody who's dialing in. Sorry about the uh, wrong information that was sent out. Um, so with that, uh, Ms. Baker, are you there, ma'am? Yes, I am. Uh, if you have an opening statement, you can go ahead with that now. Um, before we actually start with the questions, I thought that maybe I would give just a, a brief overview of uh, the MOU and where we are today. Um, in March 15 of 2011, our uh, military instruction 1322.25 voluntary education programs was published, and in that instruction it stated that all schools must have a signed MOU with the Department of Defense to participate in Title X active duty military tuition assistance programs. Um, we were going to implement that policy in uh, 1 January 2012. However, when um, about the fall timeframe of 2011, uh, several organizations and institutions and uh, the HELP Committee on the Hill came to the Department of Defense and requested that we delay the implementation of the policy uh, so that we could um, strengthen and change some of the verbiage that was actually in the, the MOU at that time. Some of the concerns that were raised at that time was that the institutions felt that they could not adhere to the policy or to the requirement in the MOU that all schools must adhere to the service member's opportunity uh, principles and criteria. They also had um, some concerns because we also made the requirement that all schools would accept, recognize, and award military education and training, and also that all schools would uh, provide an education plan. Military and veterans organizations had concerns about the MOU because we didn't have strong enough verbiage in the uh, MOU requiring schools to not um, have aggressive marketing and have policies in place to not have aggressive marketing, also loan defaults. The uh, military organizations were also very concerned that some of the schools were not meeting the service members and veterans' special needs. Um, the HELP Committee on the Hill said that um, they wanted stronger verbiage in there to ensure quality of service members who are receiving education, leading towards employment, certification, and licensures. 
And also they wanted stronger verbiage uh, stating that the schools would disclose information and have policies in place against aggressive marketing and um, loans for our military members. What we did in, in the three months from the 1st of January to the end of March is we worked with the institutions of higher learning, the help, and military and veterans organizations to work on the verbiage and to strengthen it where it needed to be strengthened and also to change verbiage. As many of you are familiar with, the Department of Defense has their own language and higher education has their own language. So some words we had to actually clarify so that we were all having the same understanding of what the requirements were. The biggest uh, change in the MOU is that we divided it where we said that all schools must be must divide abide by the service members' opportunity college principles and criteria. Um, schools couldn't ad adhere to all those, as I had previously mentioned. So what we did was we broke out some of the requirements. They're not new requirements, but we uh, rephrased the requirements. Um, now, for if when a school goes on and signs the MAU, they will select are they going to sign on as a SOC member, and they will adhere to all of the SOC criteria and principles, and also to adhere to the Military Student Bill of Rights, which is a part of the SOC um, requirements. Um, we have another category for those schools that can't abide by all of those requirements, and we have that as a non-SOC member. What we have done is we have taken some of the requirements that were in the SOC criteria and we um, place them in the non-SOC membership, and I'll just briefly go over some of them. Uh, all schools must disclose transfer credit policies. They must disclose uh, policies regarding the award of credit prior and prior experience in military credit. Uh, they must disclose academic residency requirements, disclose institutions, programs, costs, including tuition fees and other charges. Um, they also must provide access to an institutional financial aid advisor so that students know exactly how much it's going to cost for them to go to school. Uh, prior to enrollment, they must provide information on institutional drop, add, withdrawal, readmission policies. Um, they also must conduct academic screening and place our military members where it is appropriate as to the student's readiness. They must designate a point of contact to provide appropriate, appropriate academic and financial counseling and student support services. They also must have a policy in place banning um, recruitment inducements, and they must also refrain from high-pressure recruitment tactics and also incentive-based um, uh, initiatives to encourage their recruiters to uh, enroll as many students as possible. Where we are now with this is that it has gone on to the Federal Register and um, an interagency review. It has been reviewed within the Defense Department, and on Friday it was actually published on the Federal Register as a final rule. And uh, Thursday on the 6th of December our instruction was signed um, within the Defense Department. So now we have the policy is back in place, and uh, our policy does state that all schools receiving TA, TA must have a signed MOU. We will be implementing that policy on the 1st of March. Um, if an institution actually has a signed MOU at this present time, they can keep their present one or they can um, uh, um, not keep the present one and they can sign the new one in, in replacement of the one that they currently have. Uh, and that's 
basically we are where we are with it. And so now I'll turn it back over to the moderator for um, questions and answers or discussion. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, did somebody else join, or I, I thought I heard somebody drop off as well. So, uh, uh, William is John McCandless. I, I dropped off and rejoined. Okay. Uh, okay. So, well, Michelle, you were first on the line, so you can go ahead and ask your question. Well, what I wanted to find out was the you indicated that you could change and sign the new uh, form or the new memorandum of understanding. Is there a distinct difference? Just that it has the new language in there if we retained our old one would we be able to still have all of the same information same understanding the same requirements are actually in place if an institution wants to cancel their current one and sign the new one they will actually have to say am i signing as a SOC school or a non-SOC school um, and and then they'll have to follow those requirements um, let me explain a little bit. In the SOC criteria, it actually states that, um, that institutions must waive their residency requirement of the last semester uh, prior to their graduation. Um, what we have now said is that some institutions can't waive that requirement. So the institutions now will all will be required to inform the students of their residency requirements and we'll have to tell the student we cannot waive your last uh, semester requirement you must be at this institution to be able to graduate from this institution and as you know many of our service members travel extensively and if they don't know that up front they might not be able to complete their um, uh, education at the institution that they start from so we're saying that you must disclose all information does that answer your question Yes, my concern was a if we kept the same one that we currently have, and to advise them if they change, do they have to go someplace that also has the same memorandum of understanding in place? Okay, if they can't, if if they are a if if the institution is currently a SOC member, there is no reason for them to cancel their um, MOU and to sign the new one. If they're a non-SOC member at this particular time, and if they don't feel that they can abide by the, all of the SOC criteria and principles as stated in the first MOU, then I recommend that they cancel the first one and sign the second one. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And uh, somebody else joined? Yeah, hi. It's Jared Serbu again. Sorry, uh, I just got disconnected. That's okay. All right. Uh, moving on to Tom Goring. Uh, thank you very much. Tom Goring from Navy Cyberspace. Um, my question, you brought up uh, the marketing techniques that a lot of uh, the institutions use. I assume you're not talking about the public ones, more of the private ones. Um, is, is some of these things that the, the VA is doing and, and what's happening with the tuition assistance, um, is it a result that we are trying to funnel more money toward the public fund or public institutions and more away from the private ones? Thank you. In the Defense Department, we don't distinguish between types of school. We hold all schools to the same requirements, and we will expect all schools to provide the information um, no matter what type of school they are. They will have to disclose their recruiting, their tactics. I mean, everything is, is up front. Um, I, I think um, to use a, uh, a word that is used quite a bit in higher education, 
we want all information to be transparent. So when our service members select an institution, they fully understand the requirements of the institution and how they're going to uh, travel through their educational life to be able to get that degree to go on and to be employed or to better their um, occupational skills while they're in the military. We just want our service members to be successful. So they have to have as much knowledge as possible about the institution that they're enrolling in, no matter what kind of institution it is. Mr. McCandless, this is Leslie Holrod from OSC Public Affairs. As you know, Ms. Baker is, or was that Mr. Goring? Sorry. That was Mr. Goring, yes. Okay, Mr. Goring, I'm sorry. This is uh, Leslie Holrod. Um, as you know, Ms. Baker is speaking from the voluntary education tuition assistance MOU perspective. If you are interested in speaking to someone about the VA's approach, I'm glad to send you a contact. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. Ma'am, if you want to forward that to me, I could I could definitely forward that to her, Tom. Or if you you might have his information contact information on the uh, list I sent you. Okay, uh, I'll forward it to you, and then you can send it to the group. Thank you, ma'am. And Mary, you were next. Um, I was, but I'm still kind of figuring out what question I want. So if I could just skip this time round. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, Christine. Yes, um, I was just curious at this point, how many universities or institutions have signed on, and how many do you expect to sign on? Currently, we have approximately 2,400 institutions that have signed the MOU. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, how many do we want? Mm -hmm. What we really want is we want all the institutions that our service members attend or want to attend to sign the MOU. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, did, did you get that, Christine? Yes, I did. Thank you so much. Uh, Jared, you were next. Yeah, you, you may or may not know this, but I, I guess I'd be curious. Do you have any kind of sense as to whether a lot of institutions out there altered their practices and policies in order to comply with the terms of the MOU, Vice, whether you guys are just uh, encapsulating people out there who already had practices that, that the department would find acceptable? You know, I, that one's a hard one for me to answer, but what um, one of the main reasons that we started with the MOU was we weren't really sure if all institutions fully understood um, our policies and our requirements. And so uh, it was brought to our attention that maybe we needed to have an MOU so that we could articulate, so that institutions would fully understand our policies and they would also understand the needs of our service members. So that, that's what we actually put into the MOU of um, what our service members need, like when I was talking about the disclosure of information or education plans. It also um, articulates the payment process and for institutions not to enroll a student until the student actually comes with a tuition assistance form in hand because we do not approve tuition assistance after the fact or after the actually starts. So we were articulating also our requirements to the institution. Did you get that, Jared? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yep. And John, you were next. How many uh, public and private schools are uh, are participating in the program right right now? We have a total of 200, uh, 2,400. And you, 
and I'm really sorry that right now in front of me I don't have the a actual breakout numbers, but what I approximately, approximately. Uh, you know what is really interesting is probably half of the institutions are public, and then the other uh, half of the institutions are um, uh, nonprofit or profit. Thank you. And Dale, you were next. Dale, you there? Uh, I'm here. I'm okay. sorry. I had I had dropped off on a problem with techno technical here. Um, do you believe that there will be fewer schools available to the military students after you're done with this program? Um, no. When we look at our numbers right now, and we look at our high enrollment schools, that 2,400 institutions that I mentioned to you covers approximately 95% of all of our enrollments. Okay, so you expect little change in for the military members themselves? I expect little change. Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> and back around to Michelle. I think I'll pass on this one. Uh, well, let me. I, I will ask one question. Going back to the information that was let out last year pertaining to the, uh, the student veteran organizations who were very involved in the colleges, how much of an impact do those schools that were impacted by that storyline uh, affect the current colleges in the, in the, with the tuition assistance program now? Any at all? I'm not really sure I understand the question. The military and veteran organizations that came forward um, were concerned about the marketing practices towards military members and veterans and also um, the special needs of the veterans. And now we have also as, as one of the requirements, it was in the SOC criteria in the Bill of Rights, but now we've actually spelled it out that the institutions must have a point of contact for military and veterans on their, on their uh, campuses or within their schools so that we can direct military members or veterans to those particular point of contacts that c to assist them. A point of contact that's working for the educational institution that is employed by them or that they just have that point of contact? They have a point of contact at the institution to assist the military members or the veterans, whether it's for funding or for any of their special needs that they might have. Um, I'm the, Probably the next question you're going to ask me is, does it have to be a full-time member? And what we have actually said is that it needs to be a point of contact that can refer the military member or the veteran to the an individual that can assist them. Okay. Thank you. And you uh, were correct. <laughs> Tom, Tom, did you have a follow up? Uh, yes. One, uh, I, I was a beneficiary of uh, while I was on active duty of tuition assistance, and I, I darn sure appreciate the program. Uh, with budget constraints that's coming up, do you foresee tuition assistance being uh, restricted more? or possibly even going away because of the uh, generosity of the current GI Bill program that's in place? Thank you. At this present time, I don't see any changes in the uh, TA policy. Very good. Thank you. Mary, did you have a question yet? I did. Um, I just want to know, how are institutions made aware of this opportunity to be um, part of this uh, tuition assistance program? What we did in the, in initially over a year ago is that all institutions that were um, currently
currently involved or I should say in the management systems for any of the services were actually sent notifications. Uh, we have worked with uh, Service Members Opportunity College. They have sent out notifications. We're also working with um, American Council on Education to get the word out. The, also, the um, MOU was posted on the Federal Register for, um, so that the public can actually view it and see it. That okay. answer your question? Y yes. And um, is it all right if I just ask one more question? <laughs> uh, sure. And how will, after these changes, and um, how will they be held accountable to adhere to these requirements? Um, we have what, within Department of Defense, we have a third-party review, and we contract with an organization, and they review the schools. Um, on an, and also, as part of the requirements to, um, when you sign the MOU, you, the institution agrees to participate in our third-party review. So the third-party review will also be looking at the schools to ensure they're abiding by them. Uh, we also have a um, complaint concern system within the department, and anyone, whether it's a, somebody who is, works in an education center or a military member, can actually put in a, a comment or a concern on the web pages, and we will look into it, and, and it'll just go on from there. Okay, thanks. And Christine, did you have a follow-up? Actually, um, and I hope this makes sense, but although this does not directly uh, affect military spouses or dependents of service members who qualify for, let's say, the MyCAA program um, or the GI Bill benefit, do you think um, institutions will, I guess, assist dependents and spouses also with this uh, MOU, I guess, look out for them as well? I'm not sure how to phrase that correctly. <laughs> William, if you could to paraphrase the question, that was hard to hear. Yes, I guess what I was saying is I, I know this does not directly affect, let's say, military spouses or dependents that qualify certain benefits that the service member has, whether that's the GI Bill or even spouses separately with a MyCAA um, funding for university education. I guess I was wondering um, if this would ever focus on dependents or military spouses or, or um, I guess, in the future or... Um, do universities also look out for them for predatory practices um, as far as marketing? Or um, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And um, even though those programs are not linked to or it's not a requirement of those programs for an institution to have an MOU to participate in those types of funding, mm -hmm. um, several of the requirements that we have saying that an institution must have a policy in place so that um, to avoid aggressive marketing and those types of practices for them to provide education plans. These are just, um, and then also to have disclosure and transparency on their web pages and to provide students information. I'm sure it will roll over into good practices and, and the spouses and veterans will be beneficiary of those types of rollover cause and effect, I think. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, you get all that? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Jared? Yeah, just another question about ongoing monitoring and, and compliance stuff. Uh, can you say a little bit more about the uh, third-party review process in terms of 
how frequent those reviews are, how, how detailed they are? I mean, are, are there site visits and audits of an individual institution's books? What, what exactly do the reviewers do? Okay, since it is a third-party review, we don't tell the uh, contractor basically what to look at or how to do the third-party review. But what I can tell you is that they do give us a report. They look at all of the requirements that are on the MOU. What they require of an institution is for them to do a self-assessment and to provide it to uh, the contractor. Then the contractor actually goes to the institution or visits the site where the contractor is, say, for instance, if it's on a military base, or if they don't operate on a military base, then they actually go to the campus. And they look at um, all of their marketing practices. Do they provide education plans? Um, just the whole list of all of the requirements and then some, what they feel is uh, are good quality indicators. And then they actually write a report up and they provide it to the Defense Department. And where they feel that there is um, a deficiency, then they make a recommendation that they should um, make an improvement in a particular area. And then after the report is actually given to us and it's given back to the institution, the institution then within six months has got to provide a report back to uh, the Defense Department of how they Im made improvements to those recommendations. If they end up being, you know, highly deficient, is, is there a provision for the MOU to be terminated if, if they're really not complying? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, John, did you have a follow-up? Yes, uh, follow-up with your networking with the student veterans organizations. I asked earlier, Ms. Baker, John McCandless from the Navy Memorial uh, Log Blog, uh, are you also net networking with uh, the various uh, veterans associations and Vets VFW, Association of the U.S. Army, Navy League, Navy Memorial? You know, I don't have the list in front of me of all the um, institutions or the organizations. Um, that we worked with and we have met over the time. Uh, one of the other things I, I would also like to mention to you is because of the um, executive order and some of those other initiatives that have been happening in the last year, we meet uh, usually on a quarterly basis with the Veterans Office Department of Education and we meet with the um, military organizations and the veterans and we've been providing them an update on the MOU and uh, what the requirements are. Thank you. And Dale, did you have a follow-up? I did. Um, if there's not going to be an impact on the military community, um, why were the veterans organizations concerned about the new MOUs then? Because um, the veterans organizations, and we do also within the Defense Department, we know that our military members are going to be using tuition assistance and not all of our service members complete their college education while they're in the military, and then they go on to use their VA benefits and they become veterans and they continue their education when they leave the military. So they were looking at this as, you know, like I said, the lifelong learning process of an individual who comes into the military starts with TA and then go leaves and is using his veterans benefits. So they wanted to make sure that that individual was protected through their whole life cycle of education. Okay, well that makes sense. Thank you. And then uh, I guess we're getting a little bit short on time now. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank everybody for your time and for your questions. Um, did you have any follow-up comments, ma'am, or a closing statement you'd like to make? 
Um, I would just like to um, make the comment that um, I mentioned I started off in the beginning saying that some higher education institutions and organizations had some great concerns about the MOU, um, but and, and it's been difficult for some. And, but I wanted just to make the point that we're really trying to look out for our service members, and we want our service members to be able to be successful in their personal life and also in their educational life. And by placing and having some of these requirements as we do in the MOU, we want our service members to be able to make wise decisions as to where they're going to school and to ensure that they select an institution of their choice that they can be successful um, and graduate, and they can go on and to be employed and to have all the goals that they, they're trying to attain. And that's really the purpose of the MOU is to protect the service member and to ensure that they um, uh, reach the goals that they want to educationally. Thank you very much, ma'am. And thank you again to everybody on the line for your comments and your participation today. Uh, the program will be on dodlive.mil. There will be an uh, audio file tomorrow morning uh, as well as uh, the bio and a story to go along with this call. Again, thank you to everybody on the line. Uh, that concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.